We turn there in your Bibles. We have two more weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to make our way back to Mark and pick up where we left off months ago now. But um, it's been good. In our text, chapter 7 of Matthew, beginning in verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And Father, we pray, as we always do, Lord, it's your word, you spoke these things, it's your spirit that we really want to be taught by, and uh, for those of us who are born again, we have your spirit dwelling within us, so even as I'm speaking, Lord, you many times can override, and I'm sure that you do, what's even being spoken from the pulpit, but Lord, we want to hear from you, we pray, Father, that we would rejoice in your word, that we would take it seriously, that we would really consider these things. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sermon on the Mount, last week we ended with really an exhortation or a warning from the Lord uh, not to let, not to allow false prophets, teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing deceive us in any way. Um, and there are plenty of, of false teachers and false prophets, and they are wolves. They're not outside the church. They're in the church. Sometimes they're in pulpits. Sometimes they're sitting in the pews, you know, the seats. But false teachers, prophets are all around us. I wish that they were outside the church, you know, and we could say, well, just keep the doors shut. Don't let them in. But But, of course, they've infiltrated the church. And this is why it's so important that we are people who know the word of God. We're self-feeders. Yes, come to church. You need to attend a church. And you need to attend a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church. But let me tell you, if you're dependent upon this, I mean, if this is your sole diet, you are malnourished, spiritually speaking. Um, you need to be a person who falls in love with the Word of God. It's a poor illustration, but when Tracy and I were dating, um, Tracy had gone to Europe for a month. It was kind of a pre-planned thing that after graduation, her and a friend were going to go to Europe. They were going to travel around Europe for two weeks, and then they were going to end up in Cannes, France, where... Uh, Tracy's older sister was getting married. So she went there as a ballet dancer, uh, a San Diego ballet company, and she just decided to stay. She met John Charles and stayed there and ended up marrying him. So Tracy was gone for a month. We're dating. I'm madly in love with this girl. And, um, you know, communication was difficult. Um, She did find a phone, or John Charles found a phone in France, a pay phone, that if you did something with a coin and banged on it, she actually was able to call me in the States. And so we did talk. It was kind of staticky and everything. But 
When she was gone, I would, and I know it sounds cheesy, but I would take her love letters, her cards, things that she gave me, and I would take them and I would read them and reread them, and I would just, you know, oh, I missed her so much. You know why? Because I loved the author. It wasn't that I was in love with the letters or the cards. I was in love with the author. And really, that should be our motivation for being people of the word. You know, it's not, oh, I love the Bible so much. It's deeper than that. It's more than that. I love the author of the Bible. And so I want to know him. I want to draw closer to him. And the word of God is the means by which I do that. One day we'll see him face to face, but until then, you know, we have his spirit who bears witness. We have his word that teaches us and instructs us. So Jesus, because he loves his people, he warns us not to let anyone deceive us. We saw that last week, you know, the false prophets, the good tree, the bad tree, the good fruit, the bad fruit, and all of that. Our text today, it's almost as if Jesus says, now, I want to warn you about something else. I want to warn you not to deceive yourself. See, it's one thing. There's plenty of people out there that will deceive you if you let them. But I think that for many, the greatest deceiver in their life is themselves. You know, kind of this false hope, you know, I'm, I'm trusting in, I'm believing in. And, and maybe it sounds something like this, you know, I was baptized when I was seven, or I was confirmed when I was 12, or I, went to, I grew up in the church, you know, things like that. And, and it's more connected to things done rather than the person, you know. I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm walking in Christ. I want to know him. And so he warns us not to be deceived, not to deceive ourselves. You read these words of Jesus, and, and this is by far, and, and of course, out of all of the Writers of scripture, the things that Jesus spoke that are recorded are by far the most radical. I don't know what other word to put to it. More radical than anything that Paul ever wrote or Peter ever wrote or John ever wrote. More radical than anything that Isaiah wrote. Even the things that he was receiving from the Lord and writing the things, very things that he was receiving from the Lord. Jesus said things and Jesus did things that were absolutely radical, radical things. And this is one of those portions of scripture where you just kind of stop, if you're smart, you kind of stop and you catch your breath and you say, Lord, what meaneth thou by these things? I mean, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And then that Many, many, Lord, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart. Go away. That's what it means. Go away. Go away. I don't know you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's radical. It's frightening. I, I read it, and, and I, want to, I, I want to believe that, well, what Jesus, because I want to distance myself from this, and I want to believe that what Jesus was warning against is, is just a mere profession of faith. 
Merely speaking the words, I believe in Jesus. I, that's what I want to believe. I want to believe that this is directed for those or to those that have just simply made a verbal confession of faith, but there's no doing. But the problem we have here is he describes people that are doing. Because non-believers aren't prophesying in his name. Why would a non-believer want to cast out demons in his name? Or work miracles in his name? I mean, these are, these are religious things. These are spiritual things. And in fact, it's so interesting when you look at this. You know, I, I want to believe he was just speaking of those who have make a profession of faith. And, and surely there's many scriptures that I could think of. I, you know, we're going through 1 John on Wednesday nights. And I think of in 1 John over and over and over again. In fact, the last time I taught, two weeks ago, in the 1 John study, um, I pointed out the many times that we read, if we say, if we say, if we say, if we say, or he who says. And the point that John is making, listen, you can say all you want, but the proof is in the doing. The proof is in the manifesting of, of that belief, you know, that faith that you supposedly have. James, James, of course, he spoke, wrote quite a bit about this. In James chapter 2, verse 18, he wrote, but someone will say, so again, you could say all day long. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And here's the response. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Or even our text today, our, our very text today. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So on one hand, you know, the Bible's clear that saying is not enough. And I would, I would like to distance myself from this, and I would like to say, well, Jesus was speaking of those who just make a verbal confession of faith but that's not how the text reads. They're doing all these things. In fact, it says, it says, have we not? It says, Lord, Lord, have we not? See, in the, in the very phrasing of it, it's like, it's like the people are saying, they're calling the Lord as witness. Lord, you know what we've done. You of all people know, you know that we've prophesied in your name. You know that we've cast out demons in your name. You know that we've done miracles, miraculous, many wonders in your name. And yet Jesus says that there will be many. Many will hear, depart from me. I never knew you. Isn't that startling? I think it's startling. I don't know, maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe you're used to going to a church where, you know, the guy in the pulpit, he comes to a portion of the scripture and says, oh, don't worry about this, it doesn't apply to us, you know, everything's fine. I, I like to wrestle through the scriptures, you know, there are certain things, there are many things you come across that they're hard things, and rather than just pushing them aside because I don't understand them, I want to understand them, and so I want to stutter, study it I stuttered when I said stuttered, but I want to I want to study it in more uh, you know deeper ways so that I could understand these things. You know, they make this claim. So, will their claim be a lie, or will their deeds be a lie, or will both their claims and their deeds be a lie? In Acts chapter nineteen. 
we're told of some itinerant Jewish exorcist who took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, quote, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. <laughs> Could you imagine? We don't know him. But when Paul does it, it works. So we're going we're gonna to try that. Same chapter, we're told about the seven sons of Shiva. I'd like to meet those guys. You know, they, they were exorcists. And this is what we read. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And, and then the, the, the man from whom the spirit was in, these demons were in, leaped on them, and they ended up running out naked. So, you know, these were people who were trying to do things in the name of Jesus. We might want to turn that heat down a little bit because I'm going to go. I'm just starting, and I could tell I'm about ready to fall asleep. So, no. You know what, guys? You know what we know about the last days? We know quite a bit about the last days. There are some that want to deceive you and say, oh, we don't know much about the last days. Oh, we can't even consider the things pertaining to the last days. Don't listen to them. Open your Bible. By the way, do you know when you open your Bibles and you look at the Gospels, Jesus didn't write the Gospels, but Jesus spoke the things in the Gospels. You'll want to note, if you have a red letter edition, where all the red letters are, where all the, you know, you're just reading, you're reading, it's red letter after red letter, and you'll find that it's in the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been studying for the past few months, but also in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. What's the topic there? Jesus coming, the last days, judgment coming. I was listening last night, for some reason I couldn't sleep, and... So I was listening to a a Bible prophecy teacher, and he was talking about how many of his friends that used to teach Bible prophecy, he says, one of them, a dear friend of mine, used to teach Bible prophecy, and he said, I heard him say just recently, I don't teach Bible prophecy any longer. I just want to be like Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And the teacher said, well, if he really wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus, he would hear Jesus talk about his coming. <laughs> because that's what he does. And that's what he did in the scriptures, in the word of God. But we know in the last days that when the Antichrist comes, which he cannot come, he cannot be revealed until the church is removed. But when he is re- revealed, it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9-12, through 12, the coming of the lawless one, Antichrist, is according with the working of Satan. That doesn't surprise us. But look what he will be able to do. They, false prophet, false Christ, with all power, signs, lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception. So what they do, they're going to do to deceive. Among those who perish, they perish, Paul tells us, because they did not Receive the love of the truth. I'll tell you, people are going to be standing before the great white throne of God, and they're going, to, they're going to be shocked by how simple it was to believe, to simply believe, to simply place your trust in the Lord. It's not climbing to Everest. It's not climbing on your knees. It's not beating yourself. It's not, you know, this, this whole kind of rigmarole. It is believing and abiding in Christ but they perished because they did not receive the love of the truth, 
that they might be saved. And for this reason, so it's not just Satan working deception, but there's going to be a point where even God, it says God will send them strong delusion. And you say, well, why would he do that? Guys, you need to be students of the word of God. You need to do you remember Romans chapter one. We have this three times given up or given over. You know, God is so patient. He's so merciful. He is so long suffering. But if we continue, you know, to just press into sin and live in habitual sin, don't be surprised if you're giving over to these things. But it says God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's really the heart of it. That's why people don't believe the truth because they really find pleasure in their unrighteousness. Regardless of how miserable it may look, there's still an element of pleasure in it. In that day, what day? I think the judgment... In that day, many will be surprised to hear, I never knew you. Now, I found this verse this morning, and it doesn't relate to the church. It relates to Israel, but I I thought it tied in. It's Hosea chapter 8 and verse 2, and it says this, Israel will cry to me. God is speaking, of course. Israel will cry, cry to me, and this is what they'll cry. They'll say, my God, we know you. We know you. And as you read on into verse 3 and 4, and you read the context, God is declaring to them, you might say that you know me, but you do not pursue me. You pursue the idols and, you know, things of your own imagination. When you need help, you go to the Assyrians rather than calling out to me. I mean, you're, you're just looking for the arm of the flesh to help you rather than the mighty hand of God. To help you. Let me read this verse. You might think it doesn't tie in, but there is an element to it tying in. It's in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. It says, But then indeed, when we did not know God, note the emphasis upon that, did not know God, we served those which by nature are not gods. But after we have known God, Paul writes, and this is why I want to read this verse to you. He says, or rather, are known by God. I think sometimes we deceive ourselves because we fall short because everything is kind of revolving around us. I know God. When did you come to know God? We could give a date, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I know God. We never consider the question, Does he know me? (laughs) Because, see, we just assume, well, he's God. He knows all things. But obviously what Jesus is saying here, what Paul wrote in Galatians, it speaks of something. There's something deeper. It's not just, I know God knows all things. But does God know you as his own? He'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Remember the parable of the ten virgins? You had five who were wise and five who were foolish. The five, or the ten virgins, they're uh, like bridesmaids, you know. Their weddings were such a big deal. Again, we have these pictures. Last days, we have these pictures of wedding things 
because the Lord wants to teach us something. And so uh, the bridegroom comes at an hour that they do not expect. That's what we see in the scripture. Jesus coming when you don't expect him. And the bridegroom comes and they begin to trim their lamps and the five unwise, they were unwise because they didn't have oil in their lamps. Oh, please share with us. Well, if we share with you, there won't be enough. And so they go to buy oil. Oil, many times, not all the time, sometimes oil is just speaking of oil, but many times oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And so they go to buy oil, picking up in the text in Matthew chapter 25, verses 11 through 13. It says, after the other virgins came also saying, listen to what they say, Lord, Lord, Open to us. But that sounds familiar. Wait, it can't be the same thing because, well, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Well, what do you mean you do not know me? We're the bridesmaids. I do not know you. Jesus went on right after this verse, and he spoke these words. Listen, because context is very important. When you're listening, when you're studying scripture, context is important. He goes on to say, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So, what's that saying? Well, I, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot we can glean from that. But listen, if you're truly born again, you have the spirit of the living God within you as a as christians you know non-believers are never told uh, not to quench the holy spirit or to grieve the holy spirit um, non-believers are never told to walk in the spirit there's never exhortations like this for non-believers all of these exhortations are for believers So that tells us something, doesn't it? That even as a believer, as a born-again believer, with the spirit of the living God dwelling within me, teaching me things, reminding me of things that I've I've heard, that I've read from the the scriptures, I I still can grieve him. I still can quench his fire. I still can ignore him. That's bizarre. What's well, really not? Because we're still in these bodies. Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. These are words you never want to hear from Jesus. Again, depart or go away. Literally, that's what it means. Go away. It sounds so rude, doesn't it? Go away. I don't know you. Go away. It's not mere verbal confession. A lot of people say things. It's not that. It's not spiritual works. It's knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus. So if you're following, you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, let's get to the, let's get to the nuts and bolts of this thing. I mean, if that's what it is, then, then how can I know that I'm known? Jesus was asked a question. It's recorded in John chapter 6 and verse 28. And this was the question. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And this is his answer found in the next verse. It says, this is the work of God. Listen, it's really hard. It's really not. I'm playing with you a little bit. 
But this is, this is the work of God, Jesus says, that you believe in him whom he sent. So he said, okay, well, Dan, you're making it sound like this is a warning, and yet salvation, it's, it's not by works, right? It's, it's, it's by faith, right? So it's just believing, and that's true. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not works. It says, and that not of yourselves. We can't save ourselves. It is a gift of God. And then he emphasizes, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If it was of works, we would boast about how we earned our salvation. Oh, I work harder than you, you know, and slacker, you know, poser. But it's not based on works. It's based on faith in Jesus Christ. But here's the deal, guys. It's by faith. But the fruit of true faith, the reality of what we truly believe, will be manifested in our life. You know, this... uh, I don't hear it as much any longer, but I used to hear it quite a bit. When people, when people would want to say things like, um, my relationship with the Lord is personal. It's between he and I. Almost like you have kind of this inside thing. Now it is personal. No one can, no one can be saved for you. No one can believe for you. No one could walk the life for you. I mean, it is a personal thing. But kind of this idea that almost like I've got this, you know, we've got this thing. We're tight, man. And I know it's different from maybe what you experienced, but we got it down. And, and they try to pretend that it's something other than what the scripture presents. The fact of the matter is, is that what we believe will be manifested. It's seen in our life. It's seen in the way we live our life, the way we conduct ourselves. Listen, I... You know, I could care less about politics, but what you believe will be seen in your politics. What you believe will be seen on your stance of the subject of the sanctity of life. What you believe will be seen in your faithfulness to your spouse or not. You see what I'm saying? I mean, what we truly believe will be manifested. It will be seen. It will be lived out. It's not by works. It's through faith. It's a gift of God. But you know, the very next verse in Ephesians, I know I'm jumping around a bit, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, this is what it says. For we are his workmanship. So we are his work. It's not by works. I'm not saved by works. But I am hit now. I'm his work. I'm his workmanship. That word, that poema. It's like a, a work of art, you know. His workmanship. Listen, created in Christ. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Oh. Which God prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. 
See, again, we go, oh, I don't get it. I don't understand. Remember, guys, God is eternal. He's outside of time. <laughs> he knows what's going to happen before it happens. When you think about this, guys, listen, I'm not saved by, by, by works, but Father has ordained certain works for me to walk in, to carry out. When did he do that? In eternity past. You know, I, I, I think of how, I wonder, my pastor used to give the illustration, you know, he says, I wonder, could you imagine if we get to heaven and, and the Lord takes us into a room and in the room there's all these beautifully wrapped packages and they're just stacked up to the ceiling, you know, and it just seems like it's an endless sea of, of packages there. And, and you ask the Lord and you say, Lord, what are these? And the Lord says, well, these are all the things I had for you in life. But you just wouldn't receive it. You just want to take hold of it, you know. Almost like you've missed out. And I think of that when I read this verse. You know, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Many will say to me in that day. You know, guys, I, many, Lord... Remember last week? For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Don't you almost want to protest and say, Lord, can't you lighten it just a little bit? Why did you say many? Why not few? But many. scary. I want to protest, but then I'm reminded. You know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded of something that I'd like you to turn to, Revelation chapter 3. I'm reminded of the Lord's prophetic picture of the last day's church, of the condition of the last day's church. Revelation chapter 3, the lukewarm church or the church of the Laodiceans. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. You know, uh, guys, have you noticed in the scriptures when Jesus repeats himself three times that there's some significance to that? I mean, he really is trying to drive the point home. He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And then that's another thing. You know, you say, Jesus, what did you mean by this? It sounds like the lukewarm person makes you sick. That's what it sounds like. Oh, it couldn't couldn't be that way. No, 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 no. Okay, serenity now, serenity now. You know, Jesus is the one with the lamb on his shoulder, and it's, and, you know, it's just so easy, and everyone else has made it so difficult and so complicated and everything else, and we want this Jesus in our own image rather than reading the scriptures and taking these things to heart and not leaving with our head hanging down and so I guess I'm, I'm that, what, vomit? That's me, I'm vomit, you know. Oh, really? I mean, what, what an attitude. As long as you have breath, as long as you have a heartbeat, why would you even come to a conclusion like that? It's pathetic. How about repent? How about obey? How about turn? How about abide? 
He says, I vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and naked. And then he goes on to counsel them. I'd like you to drop down to verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. It's not like Jesus saying, you know what? I'm so mad at you. I hate you. That's not what he's saying. He says, I love you. Do you understand? That's why I'm rebuking you. I'm correcting you because I love you. And then we have that famous portion of scripture. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Wow. The lukewarm church. Now, you guys know this. A church is not a thing. That's how non-believers see a church. A church is a building. Oh, isn't that a cool church? Oh, that's a nice church. Oh, that's such a historical church. That's a church. That's the church. But really, these are buildings that we build to house the church. The church are people. And so when we're seeing that the Lord is addressing the lukewarm church, he's addressing lukewarm people, right? And Laodicea, you know what, you know, each of the churches, the seven churches, there's a meaning behind the name. You know, Ephesus, it's the darling church. What was their problem? Well, they left their first love. Boy, they were so faithful. They're doing everything that they're supposed to do. They were standing up against the false prophets and teachers. They were doing the right thing, but they left their first love. You know, you kind of go down, you got Pergamos, you got Thyatira. Do you know what Thyatira is? Guys, each one of these letters represent, though I believe they also represent churches that are present today, but they represent the church through church history. Thyatira, continual sacrifice. It's a picture of Catholicism. We just, you know, crucify them over and over again. Every time there's a mass, just keep going and going and going. He rebukes them. You've got Sardis. Sardis, prophetically speaking, or historically speaking, speaks of the church during the Reformation age. And you say, but that, there were good things that came out of the Reformation. There were wonderful things that came out of the Reformation. But the problem is, is that they began to fall back on their former works, you know, rather than continuing on in the Lord. And the Lord rebuked them. You have the faithful church, the church of Philadelphia. And the Lord says to them, I have set before you an open door no one can shut, for you have little strength. That's us. If you're faithful, we don't have great strength. We're not boasting in our great strength. We have little faith or little strength, but we're mighty in the Lord. He says, you have kept my word and, I have, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my commandment to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. This is speaking of the tribulation. But then you have the church of, La- uh, of uh, the Laodiceans. You know what it is? It is the church of people's rights. Study it. Don't take my word for it. It's the Church of People's Rights. Well, I think we should vote on this. I remember one time, many, many years ago, 
Jim Cuthbertson and I, we were at a, a carpet place and we were buying some carpet for some of the classrooms. And so they knew that we were, you know, getting the carpet for a church. And so the salesperson said, well, let me get all the information to you because I know that you'll probably have to go back and, and get a green light, you know, from the people in the church. And we just looked at each other and started laughing. We said, no, we're just getting carpet. We're not, we, we, but you'd say, well, why would a church do that? We used to be in a church like that. They had the business meetings every other month on Sunday night. I hated it. You talked about you talked about seeing people in the flesh. That's where you really saw people. I mean, they were just so rude and obnoxious. I don't like that carpet. I wanted the green carpet, you know. And and just this attitude is like, oh gosh, come on. People's rights, church in our community, not a fly by night church in our community, a church that's been established in this community for a long, long time. Years ago, their leadership got together, and they voted on it. Voted on what? How they were going to view the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I would suggest just taking it as it reads and taking the biblical account as as a literal account of creation and what God has done. But, of course, they didn't want to do that. They needed to vote on it because we know so much more now because of science. The religion of science. Let's take a vote. Let's take a vote. Should we put our gay pride flag up? Because, see, that will speak to our community how open we are, how loving we are. Laodicea, you say, how dare you, Dan? How dare they? People are perishing for lack of knowledge. You know what? Could you imagine a church? What if there was an adultery flag? An adultery flag. Don't, don't think about it too long. You might get some bad images. But, but you know, and, and we're going to set the adultery flag out there to show them that we're open to those who have committed adultery. You say, no, that's weird. That's, that's absurd. It's not absurd because it's in the same category as homosexuality. And so who's making the distinction of sin? The, the person who believes what the Bible teaches and says, listen, people perish because of sin. These are the sins that are listed. This is not an exhausted list of the sins that are, you know. But people need to come to Christ. And when you come to Christ, you have a new way of thinking and living and acting. Do you see what I'm saying? The Laodicean church. It's everywhere. Let's have yoga in our church buildings. Yoga, it's so beneficial. Every time I bring up yoga, I don't know why I brought up yoga. Because every time I bring up yoga, someone gets upset with me and stomps out. Because I touched on their little pet thing. And I'm talking from someone who is in all that garbage. And I think, if you're going to, listen, call it something else. But if you want to call it yoga, which it is, if you're practicing yoga, who are you yoked to? Because you need to understand, and this is the arrogance of Americans. 
We think that everything originated with us. And it didn't. People have been doing yoga for a long, long time. So it'd be good to go back to the source. How do you view yoga? Is it just exercise? Or is it spiritual? And they say, it's spiritual, of course. I'll hear about that one. But you know, women pastors, that's the new thing. You say, Dan, you have an issue with women? No, I love women. I love my wife. I've got strong daughters and a daughter in law. They're strong people. They uh, are not pushovers, they have strong opinions about things. But there is a biblical role for a pastor, an elder, an overseer, and that does not include a woman. You say, well, you've got to change with the times. Listen, that's why we have the Laodicean church. Let's change with the times. You guys got real quiet. That, maybe that was one that was more touchy than the <laughs> yoga. You know, guys, I think that Jesus wants us not to have a false sense of security. And I think that's why he says these difficult things, these hard things. I think there are many people who have a, a false sense of security. Because I do this, or I do that, or I don't do this, or I don't do that. And I, and I go to this church, and I, you know, I, I believe the right things, and I'm, you know, this and that. And it's, and it's really not a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced that if we're in a right relationship with Jesus Christ, not that we're going to always get everything right. And surely not that we're going to never sin, because we do sin all the time. But I'll tell you. We'll see ourselves as we ought to see ourselves. A lukewarm person usually has an inflated view of themselves. Jesus says, because you say, here's their self-analysis, I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing. That's how they view themselves. I remember a story of someone some, I don't know if it was an emperor or what it, what, what it was, but he was riding in a chariot with one of the early popes. And they're riding around, you know, the Vatican. And the emperor, whoever he was, said, oh man, these buildings are fantastic, marvelous, beautiful, stunning. And the pope said, yes, no longer... Well, we say, silver or gold, have I not? And the emperor said, but neither can you say, rise up and walk. See, you know, you, you, you value the things that the world values rather than the thing that God values. Jesus gives his analysis, again, not because he's beating up on them or he hates them, it's because he loves them. And he says, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable are pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And again, you know, I hope you've studied these things because I'll tell you, these letters are so powerful when you consider historically the church that existed at that time. 
Their water arrived to their city. It was lukewarm because it came on an open aqueduct six miles away from hot springs. And so when Jesus used this illustration, they're going, lukewarm, yuck, yeah. When he counsels them to put eye salve on, they were known, that's what the city was known for, for their eye salve that brought healing to people. And he's using words that that first century church there in Laodicea would have, would have said, oh man, you are, you are speaking to us. You are speaking directly to us. But it goes even further than that. They were poor in faith. They were spiritually blind. They were naked in true righteousness. And what does Jesus say? He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Holman Hunt painted a now famous picture of Jesus standing at the door. You've seen it? Have you seen that picture, that artwork? Jesus standing at the door knocking. When the picture was first uh, displayed, critics came to look at his work. And one critic said, Mr. Hunt, your, your work is beautiful. It's a masterpiece. But you made one problem, one mistake. And the mistake is you didn't put a, a handle on the door. And Hunt said, oh, that was no mistake. The handle's on the inside. You know, guys, behold, I stand at the door and knock. We use this in evangelism. And I don't think there's anything wrong with using this in evangelism. We might say to a person, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart. Won't you let him in? I think that's fine. But what's shocking, what's disturbing is in its context, Jesus is outside the church, and he's knocking. And Jesus, it's all, as you read it, he's not even addressing the whole church. He says, "If is there one? The one who opens the door? I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Again, this is something that doesn't mean much to us, because, you know, we eat, we just kind of, you know, food. But I'll tell you, you go even today, you go to the Middle East or some other cultures. I talked about our former brother-in-law from France. I worked with him. We were construction workers. And we did, some, we did a job for a couple, a French couple, in the San Inez Valley on their ranch. And they had lunch for us every day. And the French... You know, from that culture, our lunch was like two hours long. You just sit and you eat and you eat more and you talk and you, you know, and then let's go back to work. And it's like, yeah, right. You know, you know, no one wants to go back to work after that. But, 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 but this speaks of intimacy. The Lord is saying, I want there to be this intimacy, this fellowship, because no one would eat with someone that was their enemy. In that culture. I want to ask you. You guys come on up Moriel. I'm, I went long again. Surprise, surprise. But I, I want to ask you. And this is a personal question. And this is it. I, I want to ask you. Is the knocking. Is it getting louder? Or is it. Fainter. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's, it's such a weak illustration, but I, it was a personal illustration. You know, I, I started drinking alcohol when I was 12 years old. 12 years old was a turning point in my life. And that's horrible, 12 years old. 
And, uh, and I used to drink all the time and do other things. And, and when I became a Christian, on the very day that I became a Christian, the very day, I felt like I've never heard an audible voice from the Lord, ever. But I just felt it in, impressed upon me so strongly. And it was, Danny, I don't want you ever to drink alcohol ever again. I said, okay, Lord. And one time, one time, I was with a Christian friend of mine, and this is in the 80s, early 80s, and, um, and it's when wine coolers were in. Do you remember that? They were kind of the thing. And, uh, and my friend, who never drank or anything when he was you know, a kid or anything, grew up in a Christian home, you know, he started drinking those, and I came over to his house, and we were going to go see uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so he said, Danny, have one of these. I said, no, no, I'm fine. I'm, you know, I never lectured. I never said, no, it's a sin. You know, I cannot <laughs> put the wine to my lips. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was just a personal thing between me and the Lord, you know. And, and he said, Danny, it's, it's, there's hardly any alcohol in it. Look at it. And I drank it. And we're standing in line in Grass Valley to go into the theater. And I'll tell you. And I had a little bit of a buzz with that little bit of alcohol in that wine cooler. And I said, um, I'll be right back or I'll meet you inside. I forgot something in the car. And I went down to the parking lot and I began to weep. And I said, I am so sorry, Lord. And I, I know for many of you, it sounds like, oh, gosh, Come on, where's the violin music? You know, you know, come on, that's ridiculous. But I'm telling you, it was, it was something between the Lord and I. It was like this thing that I just felt like the Lord impressed upon my heart. And I felt like I had just, I had broken that, that fellowship that we had. And, and I was so mad at myself for giving in because my friend you know, it's not like he was holding the bottle over me. You know, come on, drink, drink. You know, it wasn't like that. He just, you know, and, and I just thought, what a wimp. What a wimp, man. Be a man. Take a stand for what you believe. I think that, I think that the narrow road that we're on, I think we need to be sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And all of us have different things. And I'm not saying that we should ever impress those convictions on other people. That would be wrong. Then we're just kind of like Pharisees. But you know, if the Lord says, I don't want you going here. I don't want, the, I don't want you doing this. I don't want you watching that. I don't want, and I'm not talking about, obviously, over-the-top things that we shouldn't be watching or doing. I'm just talking about things that maybe might fall into a gray area. For a lot of people. But you just know. You have your own personal convictions. And the Lord's just impressed that upon your heart. I don't want you to do that. And I think that we need to heed that conviction. And as long as we're heeding the conviction. We're going to hear the knock. But it's when we start compromising. And compromising. And compromising. And you know what? Man, I don't have any conviction about this. You know, I've changed my view about this thing. And I've changed my view about that. And before long, you are 
You are a full-fledged member of the church of Laodicea because you are so lukewarm. The cold Christian, there's hope that they will repent and turn to Christ. The hot Christian, you know, the Christian who, who is, is, is doing what they're called to do, you know, abiding in the Lord and, and walking out their faith and everything. Oh, there's, there's joy. But the lukewarm Christian who's apathetic, who has no passion and no emotion when it comes to the Lord, it's sad, it's pathetic, and it's a, and it's a condition of the church in so many places, and again, the church is not a thing, it's people. And I fear, as we're getting closer to the coming of the Lord, you know, listen, time is running out. If you haven't opened the door, you personally, if you haven't opened the door and invited him in, if you haven't done that, you need to do that. I'm telling you, you need to do that. And you know you need to do that. You know it. If you show up here, you know that you need to do that. And I don't know why you're holding out. And I want to tell you, did you guys see that thing with Leon Musk? It was kind of disappointing. But he had an interview with Babylon B. Babylon B is a satire, you know. And so at the very end of the interview, um, they asked him, you know, some questions. And so he was kind of talking about, because Leon Musk, you know, he's a smart guy. And, and he has, and there's many clips of him saying, what is the purpose of life? You know, here's a guy that has it all. And it's like, well, what is the purpose of life? I don't know. And so he's investigating all these different faiths and philosophies and everything else. And so the, the guys from Babylon B, they, they really did a poor job of presenting Jesus. But they said, have you considered Jesus or whatever? And, and you know, Musk said, well, if, if Jesus is, is, is truly offering salvation, then yes, I would like I would like that, you know. I mean, it's very nonchalant. And then the guys were like, oh, good, done, done deal. We're, you know, almost like he's saved. And, and that's, that's not how it is. It is a heart searching. It is a, it is a heart surrendering. It is, it is seeking to abide in him. The Lord has so much more for us than what we've experienced. But we need to do our part. We don't work for salvation. But we need to do our part. I'm telling you, it's, been, it's yet to be seen what the Lord could do through you if you yielded your life to him. I'm convinced there's no more miserable person than the lukewarm person because the lukewarm person, you know, they know too much about Jesus to be happy or satisfied in this world. It's a hell for them. But the lukewarm person embraces the world so much I mean they, they, they've watered down the truth of God's word to such a degree that they can never truly be satisfied in Jesus because they're not really embracing the Jesus of the Bible here's the fact of the matter is it's difficult to be a Christian it's not easy but what are the options Hell. I mean, honestly, would you just melt it down like that? What, what, are the, what are the other choices? And I'll tell you, none of us, when we're standing before the Lord, will ever regret of missing out anything on this earth, you know. I wish I would have got loaded just one more time, you know. None of us are going to think that way. That's not even going to come into our mind. 
The devil's ripping us off. Don't let him. You're wiser than that. Don't let him. Let's legalize pot so Christians will smoke pot. I don't know why I have no ambition. (sighs) Jesus is so cool. No, Jesus is not cool. Jesus is holy. He is God incarnate. And he has called us to a life of holiness. And I'll tell you, our own government is playing into this. Let's legalize this. Let's pay people not to work. Let's dumb the men down. Let's degrade them so that they don't have a voice. They don't stand up like men and speak and have, you know, be strong as, as men should be. And women, you know, and let's put down, put down, put down. Let's dumb down, dumb, 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 dumb. Let's, let's, let's pay people to do absolutely nothing. Let's get people addicted to pornography and, and video games. And then we wonder why the last day's church is not the most passionate, on fire generation of the church. And I think I just answered the question. Would you stand with me, please? Can we cut this short, this song short? Yeah, uh, yeah. look who's cutting it short anyway. Lord, we pray. I pray that if there's anyone here, Lord, that has not placed their faith in you, Lord, they hear it week after week after week. And I just pray that today would be the day, not because I'm trying to convince them, but it's because your spirit, you're knocking at the door of their heart. And today is our day to open it. We pray that that would happen, Lord. We pray, Lord, that if you were to come today, this place would be completely empty. There wouldn't be anyone here to pick up the fallen Bibles, but that we'd all be with you. In Jesus' name, amen.